Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for this opportunity to come before you, Lord, and become before your people. Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my strength, my redeemer. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to be receptive to your word. Because your word is truth, and the words you speak to us are spirit and life. They that have an ear, God, let us hear what your spirit will say to the church today. But as James said, may we not be hearers only, but doers of your word. Because the entrance of your word brings light. And I pray that the glorious light of the gospel will shine so bright today. We thank you and we honor you and we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Good to be back here with my King's Chapel family. Blessings to you all uh, today and every day. And honor to my great brother and friend, Jeff, and his wife, Katie, in their absence. Blessings to them. Um, one of my bestest friends in the whole wide world. I know I said it like a kid, but that's all right. One of my bestest friends. And I appreciate uh, our friendship and the opportunity to stand in this pulpit today um, to bring the word of the Lord. <coughs> Brother Rob, I hope um, 25 years from now when I turn 80, I'll be looking as good and hanging out with the kids as well. Amen. Uh, my wife couldn't be with us today because soon as uh, after service, I'll be headed to uh, Ocala for another event this afternoon. Uh, so uh, hopefully she's watching online. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, greetings from her as well. Today, I'm going to talk to you from these words. It's all good. Uh, we're living in a time where... Um, there is much trouble, much division, much volatility when it comes to um, what's going on in our culture, uh, what's going on in, our, in the church at large, uh, what, what's going on in our families. So much is happening. But this is not the first time or the first season in humanity's existence that there have been trials and tribulations and trouble and uncertainty. And so I want to call your attention today uh, to the first chapter of the book of James. Um, and I do want to read the first five verses of James, the first chapter. And it reads, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. I want to read the second verse again where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so where I come from, they would say, it's all good. It's all good. So let me just say a little bit about James first. James, the book of James is written by the Lord's biological brother. Now, biblical chronologists differ as to which books um, circulated amongst the church first, but it is a pretty common theme amongst chronologists that Galatians and James and Thessalonians and perhaps Mark were the first books that were circulated amongst the church. And so um, this lesson, the message in the book of James would have been one of the first books circulated or amongst the, the early church. And it is written by the Lord's uh, biological brother, James. James is an interesting fellow. He, um, when I think about um, when the church was uh, coming into fruition, as we see in the book of Acts, um, it was especially in the 15th chapter of Acts where James comes on the scene and brings balance and understanding uh, to the church uh, because there, there was a point in time where the Gentile believers were coming into the faith, were coming to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Jewish faction of the church felt like the, the Gentiles should be following aspects of the law. They should be doing what they were doing and, and honoring the, Sab the Sabbath day and the different laws that govern um, uh, Israel. And James, the Lord's brother, comes on the scene and God speaks to him. The Holy Spirit tells him and he says something like this. He says, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit that we do not bring a greater burden on the Gentiles than this. That they abstain from fornication and from meat strangled, from blood, those things, just a few things. And other than that, we're not going to lay a burden on them that even we and our fathers could not bear. This James is one of the siblings of the Lord that did not originally at first put his trust and faith and belief in Jesus. They were not always believers of their brother. Now, I just can't imagine. Can you imagine growing up in a house with Jesus, right? You know, we, the Bible is silent much of his life from, you know, about 3 to 12. And we see him in the, the, the temple at the age of 12, uh, hanging out with the, the spiritual leaders there in the temple. Um, but once... Um, Mary and Joseph found their son. They thought he was lost, whatever, but they found him in the temple and they said, why were you looking for me? Jesus said, um, don't you know I must be in my father's house? But the Bible says from that point on, he submitted himself to his parents 
and um, he grew in stature. And from 12 to 30, scripture is silent as to the life of Jesus. Now we can embellish or think through what was it like to live with Jesus as a kid, as a teenager, you know, just uh, playing around and hanging out with each other, seeing, um, just seeing the humanity of the Lord. See, we, we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and he is, uh, but as theologians would call the, the hypostatic union of him being his deity and his humanity, making up the one person uh, that we know as Christ, who is fully God and fully man. But it's that human side that I'm wondering why the siblings of, of Christ, according to a number of historians that would say, you know, I, he might be the Messiah to y'all, but that's just our brother. You know, I beat him in kickball a few times, right? I, I heard him snore while he slept. Um, you know, he ate his food different than we did. I mean, just imagine James... Joseph, Simon, and his sisters, and some of the rest of this, all the siblings, just wondering, mama keep telling me about this man named Jesus, this, this brother of ours named Jesus, but surely can he be the Messiah? I, I just wondered about that. I don't know about y'all. I just, I just wonder about things like that. But James eventually comes on board. And over time, James begins to see that his brother is indeed savior of the world. And I love how he begins his letter. He begins his letter, James. He didn't say favorite brother, one of the brothers, Jesus, my brother. He said servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I just love that. He saw himself as a servant to his brother. And God uses him to write this particular letter. And some seem to think that the book of James is sort of the New Testament Proverbs, if you will. James gives general exhortations regarding Christian living. James primarily writes to his fellow Jewish countrymen in the diaspora, uh, which is uh, simply meaning those dispersed from the homeland. And there was a number of reasons why Jewish people were dispersed from the homeland. Some of it was persecution. Um, some of it was just people wanting a better life for their families. Um, and so they were dispersed. They'd been dispersed into the world. Josephus would write later on and say, uh, there is not a place in the world where there is not a Jewish person or community. So they dispersed into the world. But James, thankfully, doesn't, um, in his salutation, he doesn't, like I said before, he doesn't name drop. He just says, I am a servant of the Lord. And this is amazing because Jesus 
there was a scene in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, where Mary and, and the children were coming to Jesus and somebody said, your, your mom and your, and, your, and your brothers and your sisters, they're out there, they, they're, 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 they're wanting to talk to you. And Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who is my family? But they that do the will of my father. So that's the question. Are we they who are doing the will of the father? In verse 1, to the dispersed Jews, those when you're dispersed from your homeland, you can feel disconnected, you can feel displaced, you can feel distant. And there's a lot going on in our world today that is causing people to feel sometimes distant from God. In, in my line of work as a corporate chaplain, um, as a pastor, as a chaplain that goes into the marketplace, um, quite often we run into uh, people who are wondering where God is, especially even now in the midst of the pandemic that we are subject to in the entire world. It's a global pandemic. And of course, uh, we are experiencing this uh, here in the United States uh, as well. And I have known or heard of too many people who have died or who are currently even now is fighting for their life uh, or have fought through COVID. And in the midst of all of this, uh, even the people of faith can come to a place of crisis in their life to wondering, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of what we're going through? I'm feeling disconnected from you. I'm feeling like I am so far from you because my prayers don't seem to be answered. Hmm. I like to say to people who are going through and who may feel a little disconnected or may feel uh, that they're in a crisis of faith. Um, as I heard just recently about uh, one brother in the Lord, just, you know, not wanting to pray, not wanting to talk to God, just feel like feeling like God has let him down, feeling like um, God is not answering his prayers. And, you know, I, I had a chance to talk uh, to him and some others. And I would say to him, I said, man, you know, I've been there. I've been to a dark place where you're wondering where God is and you feel like maybe God has let you down um, in your life. And I testified about a time about 12 years ago. Um, I think it was about 12 years ago where I went through something similar. And it was the grace of God. It took God to bring me through and to bring me out. And you know, one thing I found out is that because of the human experience, sometimes God will let us go there. He just won't let us stay there. Oh, I feel like preaching over here at King's Chapel. 
Jeremiah said, just imagine Jeremiah. Jeremiah had the nerve to say to God, you deceived me. And I'm not going to preach for you. I'm not going to proclaim. I'm not going to talk on your behalf anymore. But then he said, it was just like fire. Shut up in his bones. You know, I grew up in a church and they, there was a song they made about it. It was just like fire. Shut up in, in my bones. I'm like, okay, fire. Where did fire come from? You know, the fire of God. Shut up in my bones. But when you read the context of those words, Jeremiah was like, I'm, I'm done. I, you know, God, you deceived me. I, I'm, I'm not talking on your behalf anymore. But then he said something was in him. It was like fire. It was like, I cannot not talk about him. I must proclaim. And he was at a moment. He had a moment where he felt some type of way against God. And guess what? God puts his big God pants on every day. And he knows how to handle our issues. He knows how to handle when we angry at him. He knows how to handle when we're upset. You know, I often, you know, I, I often share with people, especially that are going through grief, where, um, and, and I referenced uh, the book of Job, where God rebukes Job's friends. For what they told him, at least three of them. But God never, at least on record in scripture, he never rebukes Job's wife. And Job's wife said, one of the worst things I think a person could say against God. Job's wife told her husband, after she buried all her babies. Can you imagine in this church, a funeral where there's 10 caskets lined up, all seven of your sons and all three of your daughters, all 10. I ain't talking about one. Mamas, I want y'all to go with me for a moment. I just can't imagine losing one. I got six and seven grandchildren. I can't imagine losing not one. Like, oh, well, at least I got five more. No, if you just won would just take me to a, a, a terrible place. But imagine all 10 of them dying at one time. And the Bible says Job fell down in worship. Now, church people love that part. Oh, praise the Lord. He, he worshiped. Yeah, you reading the story, but what if it was yours? And then Job's wife looking at her husband worshiping God and tells him, you ought to curse God and die. Job says to his wife, you speak as a foolish woman. Shall we not receive good at the hand of God and, and, and not evil as well? The Bible says in all this, Job did not accuse God falsely. But my point of the story is the focus on Job's wife and the fact that God never says anything to her. Because I believe, my personal belief, is that God gave her a pass. Because God knew she was speaking as a hurting mother. And when you hurting, you ain't trying to hear nothing from nobody. When you're hurting like that, you got a moment. 
It's like a window of time. All right, you got a moment. You need a moment. You, you mad with me? I'm, I'm speaking as God. Go ahead and be mad with me, right? You hurt, you don't want to talk to me? Go ahead, I'll let you go there. I just won't let you stay there. At some point in time, the grace of God, the healing virtue of Christ, the love of the Lord will win out. And something must have happened at the end of the story because we see 10 more babies coming. Because at the end of the story, they have 10 more children. And the scripture doesn't say Job found him another wife. So I would have to assume the same mama that birthed the first 10 is the same mom who birthed the latter 10. And it's not that the 10 replaced the 10 because you can't replace a child you lost. But God brought healing and restoration eventually to Job and his family. My whole point, my whole point is to say, as Romans 8.28, Paul says, all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, God knows how to take the worst things in life and turn them around for our good. And I believe what one of the things Paul was doing was saying, listen, all things work together for good. And, and let me show you how. And then he goes on to say in Romans 8, um, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or peril or sword, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And I believe one of the things that Paul was doing was giving us a history lesson. When you look at the Old Testament, Israel went through all kinds of stuff. They were put in exile. They were put put in slavery they were put all kinds of situations happened to them there was a point in time where there was a plot to destroy every Israelite on the planet until God raised up a woman named Esther and it was through Esther and her intervention as the queen saved the nation. You know, theologians at first didn't want Esther. Those, those old back in the day theologians or in antiquity did not want um, Esther in the Bible because it's the only book in the Bible where the name of God is not written. You can't find the name of God in the book, but you see the handprint of God all over the story. You see the spirit of God all over over the story and the reason why Israel could not be destroyed because God wanted the seed of Abraham to survive and like Paul said in Galatians 3 uh, 16 he's not talking about seeds plural he's talking about seed singular the singular seed of Abraham is Jesus and the 29th verse of Galatians 3 says, but if anybody be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. But really, the seed is Jesus. And so every time you see Israel winning after losing, every time you see them getting victory after defeat, 
over and over, it's because God needed Jesus to come. He needed to preserve the nation and to preserve the nation, he had to preserve the, the particular tribe of Judah because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Don't you love him today? And in this session, section of scripture, James is talking to people who were distant and disconnected, the, those in the diaspora. But look at what God says in Deuteronomy 30 and 4. He says, even if your exiles are at the farthest horizon, he will gather you and bring you back home there. In other words, what God is saying is, I might let you go there, I just won't let you stay there. I may let you experience certain things, but I'm coming for you. See, we won't know God is a healer unless there has been sickness. We won't know he is a deliverer unless we needed something to be delivered from. We don't know that he can raise the dead unless there has been death. And so God uses all the things in our life to show forth his power. And that's why we can put our faith and trust in God that Lord, no matter what's going on, I may not like it and I may not like what's going on and I might be feeling some type of way, but I know my redeemer liveth. As Job said, don't he slay me yet will I trust him I'm gonna trust him my trust is in the Lord and you know what I found out I found out that God is not as much concerned about my comfort as much as he is my character and the way God develops character in us is through the crucible of trouble and trials and and all kinds of stuff let me tell you something you Maybe you're different, but I know as I look over the existence of my life and many of the people that was in my life, I found that I prayed the most and with the most intensity when I was facing trials. It's like, I, it's like uh, Psalm 119, 71, it was good. The psalmist said it was good that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. There are some things about God that you will never learn until you go through. There are some things about God that we will not understand until we go through trials and trials. And the Bible says through much tribulation shall we enter into the kingdom, right? See, we, we have this is, imagine this is a worldview at my glasses. We put on the, the worldview or the perspective of Americanism or American uh, Christianity. And so we, we, we don't want to go through. We don't want to suffer. We don't want trials and tribulations. And no, nobody wants them. But the scripture has already promised us that before Jesus returns and before we get there, you're going to go through some stuff. But as soon as we go through, it's like we forget the scriptures. Where are you, God? I'm right there. I was right there with my son, watching him be whipped with the cat of nine tails. Y'all don't know anything about it, look it up. That's how the Roman soldiers would beat people. It wasn't these nice little whips you see on pictures and 
some movies. These, these, at the end of those whips, you had sharp bone pieces and sharp metal objects, and they would literally whip uh, people. In fact, Isaiah said it this way in the 52nd chapter of Isaiah. His visage, his, his countenance was marred more than any other man. Meaning, you know, he didn't just come out looking pretty after being crucified. He was unrecognizable. They beat him so bad. And where was the father? Right there. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Please? How does, how does it please you to bruise? It pleased me to bruise my son. Notice what the Bible says in Hebrews. I believe it's somewhere around the 12th chapter. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. In other words, I think Jesus could say something like this. Yeah, for the joy that was set before me, yes. Because it's all good. It's all good because at the end of the day, he was coming for a family. And no, no one could come into the presence of God unless Jesus would go to the cross. So grateful. The human side of me don't like the fact of how he redeemed me because I know what he had to go through. But I'm so grateful that he did because now I have a right to the tree of life. Count it all joy. Do you know that word count? The first time that word is used in the New Testament is talking about Jesus being the governor, a governor that is going to come to rule Israel. So how does count and governor comes uh, uh, relate to each other? When the, when the scripture says count it all joy, you literally have to lead your soul. You have to lead yourself to a place of having joy. In other words, you got to command yourself to do exactly what the scripture said. You got to lead yourself to do that which is right and pleasing in God. So you got to you got to count it all joy. You got to lead yourself. You got to count. You got to command your soul. Like David said, bless the Lord. What? You know what he said after that? Bless the Lord. What? Oh, my soul. He was talking to his own. He said, so listen, David, I know you're going through, but bless the Lord, man. You got to bless him. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I'm commanding myself to bless the Lord. You got to lead the soul to counting everything you go through with joy. I'll tell you something. If you don't do it, here's the difference. When, you, when we go through, you're either going to become better or bitter. The difference is an E or an I. You, you got to fill in the blank. You can become bitter for the things that you've gone through or going through, or you can make them better. I, I don't have no issues with nobody. If, if, and if it came, issue came up, we're going to have to talk about it. I refuse to go through days, weeks, and months and got issues with somebody. 
I ain't got time for that. Jesus say, he, Jesus say stuff like this. He's like, listen, don't worship me if you got something or an art or an issue against a brother and sister. He said, leave your gift at the altar. Don't even present it to me and go get it right with them. Because if we can't love and get it right with the image bearers, the imago days, the images of God, how are you going to get it right with God? I know I'm in the Bible because John said in 1 John, how can you love God whom you haven't even seen if you can't love the people you see every day? Uh, I'm going to be in a place of joy. I'm going to tell you why. Because the scripture says the joy of the Lord is my strength. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And if joy and strength goes hand in hand, you got to know that the enemy, one of the enemy's greatest weapons or strategies against the believer is to come after your joy. Because if you can lose your joy, you'll lose your strength. Think about the fruit of the spirit. At the top of the food chain, what's the first one? Love. God is love. Love is of God, right? But the second one, what's the second one that comes after love? Joy. Then the third one is peace. I, I don't think it's by happenstance that the fruit of the spirit the first three is love, joy, and peace. I personally believe if you get the first three right, the other six will come. Because if you don't have love in your heart for people, if you don't have love in your heart for God, in fact, Paul said it this way in Galatians 5. He summed up the whole Bible. The whole law is summed up in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's... It's so easy, but yet it's complicated. You, you don't know what they said or did to me. No, I don't. So I got a question for you. Here's a question for us. However you and I treat someone, and let's just say the person you got the most issues in life with are people and you have a response toward them. What if God did this? What if God said to all of us, the way you treat others is how I will treat you? I want you to think about it. Because there, there was points in my life where I would pray, I, thanking God and wanting grace. God, I need your grace because I'm so screwed up, Lord. I've done some things. But somebody who did something to me, I want to hold on to. I want to still have unforgiveness or, I, you know, I, I don't want no part of them. But yet I want God to have part with me. And the question that came to me during that time from the Holy Spirit was that um, if you're not willing to extend grace, grace to others, why should you expect grace from me? Because we ought to love God 
with our whole heart. And then he said, the second is like the first. It's equal. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why for me, I command my soul. When things didn't go right or don't go right, I command my soul. I'm governing my soul. Yes, I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I have God. Yes, but there's some things that God needs us to do. He going to do his part. <laughs> I'm going to pray, Lord, watch over me while I sleep. And Lord, should I see the morning, wake me up in the morning? Yes, I'm going to pray. But you better believe I'm cutting my alarm on. I got to do my part. I ask God to protect my family. Lord, watch over us and keep us. But you best believe I'm going to lock my doors and cut my alarm on. And I have a few other security measures that I won't talk about right now in Jesus' name. I trust God. But there's a part that I got to play. I, God, take me safe. When I leave here, I'm going to get in my car like I always do. Lord, take me safe on the road to Ocala. That's your part. But then I'm going to keep my eyes open and drive defensively and safely. Got to do my part. God has given us his spirit to strengthen us. But then he said, don't owe nobody anything but love. God is not going to love my wife for me. <laughs> so brothers, don't ever go and pray. Lord, would you please love my wife for me in Jesus' name? Because I don't feel like loving her. She ain't lovable right now. But I know you love her, so love her for me too. No, what God is going to say, say God, what, you know what God's response is? Oh, I'm going to love you. I love your wife. I'm going to love her. But what I need you to do is love her as Christ loved the church. You got a part you got to play. Oh, I'll bless your children. That's my part. But what I need you in April to do is train them up in the way that they should go. Not the way that they will go. The way that they should go is my responsibility. I'm going to show you the way you should go. But the way that they will go, that's on them to choose. Sometimes they don't make the right choices. And it breaks our hearts. But I command my soul. When my dad died 20, over 20 years ago, I was in the hospital room with tears running down my face. Thanking God. I commanded my soul to Thank God. When my precious mama went home to be with the Lord last year, with tears in my eyes, I commanded my soul to bless his name. That I had a mom who taught us Jesus and a father who showed me what being a man and a father and a preacher and a pastor should be like. And I gave God thanks for it. I can either be better or I can make it bitter. I choose to be better. Command my soul. Count it all joy. In other words, for me, I got to see life as this. It's all good. Yes, there's trials, there's tribulation, but it's all good. It's all good because it's all God. God is in the midst of it. And true enough, I may not like or feel 
good about what's happening. I don't like what's going on in the nation. I don't like the pandemic situation. I don't like how it's divided. Let me tell you something. You know, when you talk about COVID-19 and vaccinations and pandemic, you got half believe this and half feel that and everybody got information and everybody feels strongly about it. Companies are divided. Churches are dividing. The church at large is divided. It's division after division that's hitting our nation, our church, our families, our world. I see it every day. But brothers and sisters, as James was saying to the dispersed people of Israel, I know you might want to be home. But wherever you are, even if you're in Rome, even if you're in Egypt, even wherever you are, count it all joy. You might be going through, but count it all joy. Jesus is returning soon. And the way Jesus said it and the way the apostles wrote about it and preached about it, every generation felt like Jesus was coming in their generation. So they were literally looking for the return of the Lord in the first century church. So when you're looking for the return of the Lord, you, you have a different swag about you. You have a different walk about you. You have a different look about. If I believe that Jesus is going to return any moment now, any day now, then that's going to cause me to live differently. Paul say you ought to you ought to encourage one another with the word of the fact that Jesus is going to return. When Paul was talking about the return of the Lord, he said, comfort one another with these words. We should always be talking about the return of the Lord. No matter what's going man is crazy in this country. Yeah, it's crazy, but Jesus coming back. Oh yeah, everybody. Oh man, my children crazy. Yeah, your children can be crazy, but Jesus coming back. My money ain't right, but Jesus, he returning one of these days and he going to get us from this mess. I'm always talking about the return of the Lord because I look forward to seeing him. I do. I remember as a kid when, when grandma and granddad said they were coming over and man, my grandmother sport, she had one child, my dad, and my dad had five children and she spoiled the craziness out of us. I know I'm dating myself, but Around about October, she would call. They lived in Tampa. They would, she would call all the grandchildren. What you want for Christmas? Back in the day, I said, Evil Knievel, G.I. Joe. Some of y'all young people don't know nothing about that, right? I'm talking about the Evil Knievel thing where you wind up the thing, you jump over his uh, RV. Where my Evil Knievel people at? I don't know. Y'all looking at me crazy. Look at that. Look at it. Look at all them hands going up. G.I. Joe, I want a racetrack. I want to football this. I want to football that. And sure enough, when Christmas was at our house and grandma and granddad said they were coming, um, we would be looking out the window in expectation that they were coming. And every car that went by the street, is that grandma? No, that ain't grandma. We'll watch TV, you know, back in the day when it was just Bugs Bunny and what else was on? Uh, 
Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids and all them Saturday morning stuff. We looking, waiting, expecting. And as soon as we hear that car come up in the driveway, we jumping up and down. Grandma and granddad is here. And her trunk would be loaded with presents. And then fast forwarding a few years after my dad died, we moved our grandparents from Tampa to Orlando so that they could be close to the grand so that we can watch over them because caring for them fell on us once their only child, our dad, died. So we moved our grandparents to Orlando. And uh, I remember whenever we would go visit them, Tampa, we could be in Lakeland. Are we there yet? Are we there? No. The no disaster. Are we there yet? Soon as we see the state fairgrounds, we ain't there yet, but we closer. Then we would go from I-4 to 275 and on towards near the airport. You could just feel this expectation. We're closest. Because I know, I don't care if it was 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning when we arrived. She had a whole meal on the stove waiting on us. And the best pound cake in the world. And we would get there. And it would be a great time. When we moved them to Orlando, I had some business to take care of in Tampa. And as I drove into Tampa, I was by myself and Tampa felt dark to me. I was like, I never felt this about Tampa before. It wasn't the same. And as I drove, getting closer to downtown to go to the hotel area where we were supposed to go. I think that's when the spirit of the Lord really showed me a lesson about Jesus. Tampa, as big and beautiful as that city is, the glory of it was connected to two people, our grandparents. And by them being gone, Tampa was not the same. I mean, I didn't even care. I wanted to leave as fast as I got there. And that's when the Lord shared with me heaven is similar because heaven is less about a place. It's more about a person. Heaven is where Jesus is. And I want to go be with him. And if, if he's not there, it ain't even heaven. Because he is the one that we look for. People talk about the streets of gold. I want to go to heaven because, man, the streets of gold and I'm going to get my mansion and all that. You know, people think it's going to be some big 10,000 square foot mansion everybody has. But it's just simply a dwelling place in the presence of God. And so here it is. Here's where I'm going with this. If Jesus is heaven, the reason why he created this place called hell is so that the father did it, right? The father did it so that he won't force anyone to be with his son for eternity. 
And if you don't want Jesus here, you're not going to want him there. So because you don't want Jesus here, I have to create another place for you where he, you won't feel his presence. That's hell enough. We do it on earth. If you don't want to abide by the rules, we created a place, places called prison. So you can be separate from everybody else. God did the same thing. So I'll close with this. The reason why we count it all joy is because I want to be with him. But being with him eventually means I must live for him now. And I command my soul to be happy. I command my, no, not happy, because happy is based on what's happening. I command my soul to have joy. Joy is different from happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening. My money good, I'm happy. It ain't good, I'm sad. Right? Stock market good, praise the Lord. It crashes, oh Lord, what am I going to do? But joy is constant. Man, you lost this. Praise the Lord. Somebody you love died. Joy. I command my soul. It's all good, King's Chapel. Everything you've been through, it's all good. Everything you're going through, it's all good. Everything you will go through, it's all good because it's all God. And he will cause all things to work together for what? For good. But here's the clincher. But you got to love him. Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Count it all joy. God bless you and God keep you as my prayer. I just, let me just pray right now. Father, we all have experienced trials and tribulations and pains and problems, failures and hiccups and disappointments. People have hurt us and we have hurt people. Things haven't always gone our way. And for those who are responsible for that, Lord God, as Jesus, as you forgave those while you were on the cross, help us to forgive everyone who has contributed to our pain. And please forgive us for contributing to other people's pains. And Lord, help us that no matter what we go through, to count, to consider, to govern ourselves, to lead ourselves, to be joyful and to be better and not bitter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.